At some point, most of us are going to be faced with taking care of either our adult or elderly parents at the same time with our own children. And the cost for that can be enormous to the tune of $100,000 a year for some adult care facilities. Today, Richard Eisenberg, the managing editor of Next Avenue by PBS, gives us his five steps that we can all do right now to prepare for and avoid getting sandwiched into financial ruin. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Richard, you and I have been in the money business for a very long time. I've been doing this for 20 plus years. You've been doing it for probably longer than that. And I think I wanted to start out because we have a long history together and I, right out of the gate, I'll thank you. I know that you've had great interest in the first book, You Can Retire Sooner Than You Think, and you've written about it, where you're the managing editor of Next Avenue. And we've gone back and forth a lot over the years because I think it's accurate to say that you and I are interested in the same stuff, right? Money and happiness. What are the habits of the happiest retirees? How do we retire earlier? Uh, and then today we're going to be talking about the sandwich generation and how to avoid financial ruin with that. But let's start out. How is the, the personal finance space? How has it maybe changed in the last decade or so since we first met? Well, gee, it's probably changed in a bunch of ways. And well, for one thing, uh, Next Avenue started in 2012. We were a website for baby boomers because those were the people who were in their 50s and 60s. Now, people in their 50s and 60s are Gen X, and some of the boomers are now into their 70s. And the habits, the personal finance habits of Gen Xers are, in many cases, different, sometimes the same as for boomers, um, partly because they... You know, they, they've grown up differently. They have different needs. Paying for college for their kids and student loans that they're still paying off um, are much bigger issues than 401ks. So those are just a few things that come to mind. I think about each generation and how, on a scale one to 10, how hard is it for this generation to retire? And I think, you know, we've had some real cross currents the last decade. The market or equity investors have been really rewarded. At the same time, you've got this younger generation that's laden, let's say, with more student debt than ever. So I'm wondering, in 2021 and beyond, is it harder today to get to a path of retirement and early retirement than it was for the boomers? Well, I would say it is probably harder to retire than it was 10 years ago, because at that point, more people had pensions, so they knew that there was going to be money coming for them in retirement, uh, in addition to whatever they might have saved, plus Social Security. Um, and then more so for the one after that, uh, I think the pressures are, are much higher on them because there's no pensions in retirement unless they work for perhaps federal or state and local governments. By and large, most people just can't expect any kind of a pension. Uh, as you said, the baby boomers um, were very fortunate if they were investing in the stock market, either on their own or through 401ks, to have lived by or mostly through very good times in the stock market. There have been some bad times, overall, very good times. 
um, interest rates right now are very low, which is not so good from the standpoint of fixed income uh, investments. So that's not so great. Um, it's not great for people who are trying to save money in the bank or money market funds. Um, the rate of returns on those are so terrible. But inflation has been low for the most part until very recently. And I think it's probably going to continue to be mostly pretty low. So you bring up a really interesting point. Let's go over. I'm not talking about this month or this week, but I'm, I'm looking at 2021, 2022. Do you think, in your opinion, do you think inflation's gonna be a bigger headwind than it has been for the last 10? Or do you think it kind of it, it reverts back to the, the 1% a year? Uh, you know, I, I don't think we're gonna be seeing anything close to the inflation that we saw in the 1970s and early 80s, uh, high interest rates along those lines. But you know, you, I think you have to sort of assume that the people at the Federal Reserve know what they're talking about, and and they're not expecting huge inflation. So I think if that if that's what they think, I'm I'm in agreement with them. But that said, I think you know it's impossible to say with certainty uh, that inflation will continue to stay low. But it seems like it'll be higher than it had been, but not as high as it has been. Yeah, I think it's interesting to say that. It's hard to argue with Jerome Powell. You know, at the Fed, and these are pretty smart people, <laughs> arguably the smartest people to become a Fed chair. And they're saying, look, this is going to be transitory. And maybe they're right. You know, maybe they're right. I think it's it's fun to say the Fed's wrong. And it's gonna, but, you know, in the end, they're, it's a pretty smart group and they're not um, they're not trying to pull a fast one on us. So I think that their best educated guess is probably a pretty good one. Do we have inflation for the next year? Sure, but does it kind of mitigate and go back to the, the trend line we've seen in the last 20, starting maybe next year in 2022? I, I could easily see that happening. Once you kind of get the pig through the python and get all the stadium lights turned back on, right? Analogy for this economy, you know, you shut it off like a light switch. It doesn't just turn back on like a light switch. It's kind of like the old school, I think of like an old Friday night light Texas football game in the 1950s, those old stadium lights. And there's like a thousand of them. They can go off quick. When you turn them on, it takes like 10 minutes. It's like one at a time, you know. So that's kind of like what's happened with the economy. So let me get with the, uh, let me talk to you about the caregiver experience because you, you've had to deal with this personally. Again, we all think about either we're already taking care of our parents I think about our own situation. My parents are in their late 60s, pretty healthy, but I could see in another decade having to really start taking care of them from a health perspective, perhaps, and maybe for one parent or another, maybe even financially. And I still have little kids. I have a, my youngest is five. So I'm, I guess I'm getting close to being sandwiched, but tell me about how, what you see happening. Well, it, it is a very difficult time for a lot of people today and more so in coming years because of the number of older Americans who are going to need some help, financial help, long-term care, um, at the same time that younger people are in many cases needing some assistance financially. But the, the reality is, as we've seen the pandemic, they're in their 20s, not to mention people older than that, who've lost their jobs, who you know, are in some cases moving back in with their parents. But the big issue is long-term care and the cost of caregiving for our parents and sometimes our spouses, um, because there is no government system in place to be much help. There's Medicaid for people who are very poor. And then for the very rich, they mostly have enough savings to take care of the home care costs or nursing home or assisted living. The vast majority of people are somewhere in between. And for them, 
there, Medicare doesn't cover these kinds of costs by and large. Um, and so when you look at things like $100,000 a year for a private room in a nursing home, uh, you know, very high cost for home care, you know, and, and people already are having trouble saving for their own retirement. You put on top of that, well, money for their own health care and then money for long term care for themselves or for their parents. You just have to wonder where that money is going to come from. And the federal government really needs to step up and realize that this is a growing crisis and needs to something needs to be done. I feel like we needed a siren sound effect on that. You just zip by 100K a year. What about the toll? Obviously, it's a financial toll. And then the toll of just the time. There's a really terrific book that came out recently that I would encourage your listeners to to get if they're interested in the topic of caregiving. It's called Already Toast. It's by a woman named Kate Washington who has been a family caregiver for her husband. She is, I would say, her late 40s. Her husband in his late 40s. She's a food writer for the Sacramento Bee. He had been a professor and started having some terribly serious health issues, um, put him in the hospital, causing him to go uh, partly blind. She had to quit her job and became a full-time caregiver for him for a few years and she was talking to somebody about being a caregiver as much as she wanted to be helpful and did whatever she could it was hard and you know she was told well already toast and and that's sort of the the feeling that a lot of caregivers have which is um they're doing the best they can but it's like emotionally psychologically financially um and they wonder you know what's going to come after um but uh, many people leave the jobs um full-time or part-time you know stop saving for the future the way they had it also means you're now not contributing to social security when the 401k won't be as large so there's all kinds of ripple effects yeah i mean it's kind of piles on and you think about all the different items that need to be taken care of. If somebody's in home health, first of all, home health care, even more expensive, right? Than, than a nursing home, correct? It, well, it can be, it depends on how many hours a day your care you're talking about. Yeah, and I think that the, the, the other thought here is that it's so, there's so many things that you may not even think about until you are starting having to t take care of your parents, but it's, it's not just health, but it's, hey, somebody's got to get them groceries. Somebody has to get them their prescriptions. Somebody has to pay their bills. Somebody has to do the maintenance on their house. So it's like you're taking on this whole other set of responsibilities. And so it's a really, there's a lot of ripple effects with this. Yeah, and often it's very sudden. You're not expecting this to happen. Long-term care, you get a phone call and your life changes. Uh, and so people are often unprepared, but then there's there's just no training for financial caregiving. So a lot of people suddenly find themselves having to do things to be sure their parents or loved ones' lives are running and nobody taught them how. So they've got to do a lot of detective work to find out yeah, where, well, where that, Yeah, Do they call Richard Eisenberg? Like, where do they go? Who do they call? Well, we all want to think that it's never going to happen. So we try to put it out of our minds and we figure, well, if it, if it does happen, we'll deal with it when it happens. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's not a very good um, way to deal with it because it just makes it like, like, makes it harder for you. So, you know, certainly the financial advisor can be helpful just to talk about, well, what what should I do now or what could I do if this were to happen? I'm, I'm concerned that my parents are getting older and I'm wondering if, if you know, they are need, going to need some help. What should I be doing to be able to be useful for them? 
Um, but also it means asking your parents a lot of questions when you can, as early as you can. Things like, you know, where, who's your, where do you, where's your bank account? And, and, you know, give me the name of your lawyer and your doctor and your accountant and all. And explain to them you're, you're doing this for them. You're not doing it because you want to get your hands on their money. That's not at all what you're talking about. And if you have the information, you'll be better able to do it. And if you don't, it'll take you longer or you may not be able to do it at all. And that includes things like getting a power of attorney for your parents while they still have their mental faculties. Because if you wait, they may not be able to sign a form that gives you power of attorney. And then you can be really stuck when you want to manage their finances when they can't and you don't have the permission to do it. You know, I guess one of my questions was, how do you not go broke when all of a sudden you've got to take care of your parents? And it's kind of a very broad, open question, but I think it's worth asking, how do, do you see what, what happens and is there anything that we can prep ourselves for before that happens? Yeah, I think there are a few things. Well, one is the more you can talk with your parents about their finances, you don't need to know down to the penny, um, right. but maybe just have an idea, are they set or what? So that that's helpful, number one. Number two is if you have family members, you want to start talking with them about what are we going to do or what can we do? And that comes down to, well, one person, because of geography, will be the more hands-on day-to-day or doctor's appointments, and the other will be more in charge of being sure that the bills get paid. And it may be that you divvy up paying for things, too, that there may be some expenses where all of you together may be able to chip in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And and that can be a huge help. So your advice here, number one, talk. It's almost just talk to them. Number two, kind of build a team, recruit family members, say, hey, who's how are we going to divvy this up? Is it just going to be you? Is it going to be you and me? And so number two is kind of getting your team, assembling your team to say, hey, look, we're going to take care of mom and dad at some point or mom or dad. Let's keep going here. And I think this is kind of part of your five steps to try to help caregivers. One, talk to them. Two, recruit your team. Three, do the research. And then what what are four and five for caregivers? Well, I would say, you know, try to find advisors that can be helpful and they could be financial advisors. They could be geriatric care. These are people who can sort of be your quarterback for the care giving that, uh, that a loved one might need. And so those kinds of people can be really helpful. You may end up needing to meet with a a state lawyer who specializes in things like Medicaid elder care planning, because the laws and tax rules are very complicated. Geriatric care is new. I mean, I, I've had clients that their kids that I also work with or their adult children will say, look, I, mom's having trouble even paying the bills because of some health issue. Who even comes and pays the bills, which is tough to do. And I've found a couple of companies in the Atlanta area that are essentially partners with seniors and they'll go in and they'll do kind of daily things. They'll even help pay bills. That's a tough, that's a tough group to find though. You really really trust those people. And it's another expense. So, you know, people need to get paid. And and so you just need to realize that somebody's got to be paying for that. And uh, is there money to pay for that? But I think in many cases, it's a smart investment. It may cost you some money today, but it's really going to pay off in the future because you know that you're, you're, you're working with people who know more than you do, who can help you make the right decisions. So let me ask you this. Let's flip it around for a second. Now, 
how can parents make it easier? So the adults, how can the adults make it easier on the kids? What's their role? So I think the first thing they can do is to share information with your adult children about things as basic as this is my doctor and here's his or her phone number and where they are and my lawyer and my accountant and whoever my professionals are that I deal with so that if you ever need them, you'll know. And then from there, the next thing is, and and this is where my money is. These are the banks I use, my brokerage firm, financial advisors, that sort of thing. Have they done a will and an estate plan? And if so, where are those safe deposit box um, and uh, keys to that? Things like online passwords so that if you need to get into your parents' computer at some point to be sure that the bills get paid, then you can get into the computer um, or into their accounts to to see them, not to take money out, but to know what, what's going on and to, to be helpful. You know, we've I've definitely helped over the years clients put together families we work with kind of a light my life plan book. Now it's not it's 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 just like a will. Nobody wants to do a will. Nobody wants to do a life plan book because it's kind of heart wrenching a little bit. Here are my passwords if I'm not here. Here are my bank accounts. So it's I know it's tough. It's and that's why people don't have wills, right? I mean, a third of all multimillionaires don't have wills because they don't want to address it. Uh, but it is something that you can make. What I what I what I think we're, gets missed is that it's not just about dying. It's also, hey, if I need help for a year or two, if somebody has a stroke, like I want to be taken care of here. I want to make it easier for you to take care of me and mom, let's say. And also to do the things now that will help the loved ones after you're gone. So you know you want to be sure that you know at the at that point you're not leaving things in shambles where the family is trying to figure out things that they can't figure out. You know, when it comes to resources, the, our own hometown paper, I write, I write for the Atlanta journal constitution. And about two years ago, they realized the problem that in Atlanta and many cities around the country, that it's so hard to all of a sudden find a place for mom and dad to go. And what's the quality of, this facility versus that facility and their facilities that are not great and they're there to take your money. And again, we have a national audience, Richard. I know you're in New Jersey. I'm in, in the Southeast. Where can somebody in Colorado or Texas or California or Seattle, where can they find some source they can trust? Is there like a national directory? Is it state by state, city by city? Um, it's all those, I would say. Uh, I would probably start with the state department aging has any kind of a directory and ratings and any kind of a service that's useful. Um, and state, does every state have a state department of aging? If, they, if they either have a department of aging or they, or that is a division of another department, huh? You know, to find it online. Um, because, um, that's, you know, they're doing things like, nursing homes and seeing that older mm. adults um, are not being taken advantage of and things like that. Um, I would mm. also look at, at local, state and local local agencies, the Agency on Aging. Uh, most communities have one of those. Um, there are some national services and they can be useful, but many times these directories are basically places that get, let's just say, mm. compensation from a company that so that if you choose a facility that it's on their list, they will get some money because you found them. Now, that's not to say it's a bad place, 
but it also mm-hmm. to me suggests they may be leaving out companies that don't want to be part of their network. So I'd say just go in there with your eyes open, just see, read the fine print on that. Um, but there's no one gold standard that does that. There's no one organization. So really, you have to get granular with your state, your local government. Medicare has what's called the Medicare Finder uh, on the Medicare.gov website. They have a, a star rating system, and that is fairly useful. It's good at what they do measure, but there are lots of things that they don't measure. I would look into that. would get that information. And, and places like Yelp do the same thing. Uh, where just as people rate restaurants, they also rate nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would say about that is just like when you go to a restaurant, the people who tend to leave the reviews are ones who either hated, hated it. it and not the ones in between who just had a good experience. How about long-term care? I mean, I know that some of the early big players in long-term care insurance got crushed because they underestimated how many people would really use it and how much it would really cost. So they sold policies and people used them. And now they've had to increase the cost. So if I'm going to go shop for a new long-term care policy, is it even affordable? Not particularly affordable, but it can be a good idea. Yeah. As you say, there used to be dozens, maybe even hundreds of companies that would sell long-term insurance. Now it's down to about and only about 11% is the last number I saw. About 11% of, of people in their 60s and older have one. The vast majority of people who are, who might be eligible to have them don't buy them because they're often expensive. But also the price of this insurance has been going up a lot each year. So even as expensive as it is when it starts, it gets more expensive. That said, you know, for homeowners insurance, you pay for car insurance. You hope you're not going to need to use it, but one day you might. And that day, you're really glad you had that insurance, even if you've been paying premiums all these years. So it's possible that you may not use that policy, but it's also possible that you will, and it will be very helpful. Let me ask you this, because this show is so much about retire sooner and what are the habits of happy retirees. But I guess my question would be, if you are sandwiched, right? You've got your take care of your parents and maybe you still have your adult kids. And we know that a huge percentage of parents still pay for their adult children in some capacity, well into people's thirties. How do you though then carve out some time so that you don't get toast to your point or burned out? If you're that sandwich caretaker, what do you need to do? Or what's your advice for that group just on a personal level? Yeah. Well, the first thing you want to do is take care of yourself and your finances. And that means short-term emergency savings and long-term savings. And then once you, you know, once you take care of yourself as best as you can, then you see what you can for others that might need you to be helping them too. So let me ask you one last question. This is more of just a fun question about you, Richard. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you remember from my first book, uh, there's a huge importance for happy retire for happy retirement to have at least 3.6 core pursuits. So those are hobbies on steroids, right? Happy retirees have almost four. The unhappy group has two or, or less than two. So I guess my question to many of our guests, I'll ask, you know, what is your one one core pursuit? Uh, and I hear birds chirping in the background, which I love. The uh, one core pursuit that you cannot live without. I guess I'd say that would be reading. I love to read. I've always loved to read. Um, but I 
read all kinds of books, and I do that. For, a lot of them are books I read for work at Next Avenue. So I'm reading you know, every personal finance and career book I can find and books on caregiving, long-term care, things like that. But I also like to read fiction, too. And I also uh, review uh, books for People magazine, mostly fiction, but sometimes nonfiction. So I just read recently the new Stacey Abrams book, by the way, which is a novel, uh, of all things. Um, and and so that's one my I think the hobby that I spend the most time on. Um, I, I would well, say and my you other... write too. You're you're a bit. You're I mean, you write for a living, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, what are your top? Give me a top. Our listeners, gosh, if you're 30, what's what's your favorite? I know this is a hard question because there's a thousand personal finance books. So what if you're 30? What's your favorite? What's give give us a couple recommendations in the per, in the retire sooner theme, if you will. Mm. Well, there's been there's a very good book that was written a few years ago, but it was updated fairly recently called Get a Financial Life by Beth Kobliner. I used to work with Beth at Money Magazine when I was an editor there and she was a writer there. Uh, and then she wrote this really terrific book for people in their 20s and 30s about managing their finances. Uh, I, I think it's still a really useful book for a lot of people. Yeah, you are a master. That was masterful, Richard. Uh, well, thank you, my friend. Well, uh, keep writing, keep reading. And thank you so much for being here. I'm sure we'll obviously we'll stay in touch. And thanks for being a guest here on the Retire Sooner podcast. And uh, I, I thank you so much for your time. Keep up all the great work. Oh, thank you so much, Wes. And you keep up your great work. And I really can't wait to read your book this fall and talk to you again. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.